Well, it happened again just this morning on my way to church. I talked to you a couple of weeks, ago, a couple of years ago, rather, about these pesky little Florida squirrels <laughs> and their daredevil attempts to go in front of our vehicles. It's this treacherous game they play. And sure enough, on my way to church this morning, one of these little squirrels on the side of the street, I promise you this happened, made direct eye contact with me. <laughs> I'm telling you, this happened. I'm driving, I'm thinking about church, I'm excited, it's such a special day. And then I notice this squirrel, he, he runs up right on the edge of the street. And as I get to about 10 feet, I mean, we made eye contact. And he raised up his thin, decrepit little fingers. And he said, <laughs> and sure enough, that thing darted right out in front of me. And so I hit the gas and uh, <laughs> I missed, I missed. Some of you be happy to know I missed. But it is true, every now and then, you hear the thump, thump, right? This is the dangerous game they play, people. It's not my fault, it's not your fault. The thump, thump happens, right? Tragically. Now, if you were to somehow try to convince these Florida squirrels not to play this game of chicken, okay? Let's just say for a moment, some of you were so overwhelmed by grief to find these furry friends lying in the middle of the road at times, okay? And you're like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna warn them. I gotta tell these squirrels, stop running in front of our cars, right? Okay, if you were to do that, what would be the best way to do it? Well, if you just showed up at their tree and tried to tell them, stop running in front of our cars, like they're gone, right? Like they're gonna see your big feet and your big hands and your loud voice, right? And they're gonna get scared and they're gonna run. If you were gonna try to save them from their fate, the best way to do it would be to become one of them, right? To learn their little creepy language to take on their weird paws or whatever you call it, right? And in their language, as one of them, call a meeting and say, guys, this is not safe. The humans do not like us. The humans are not playing our game, right? You would, you would try to get on their level, speak their language. And in other words, here's what you would have to do. If you really wanted to save the squirrels this Christmas season, you would have to, using their language, relating to them as one of them, try to give them what? A human perspective on what is happening. A human perspective on motor vehicles. <laughs> that would be the best way to do it. Now, obviously that can't happen. 
But for those of you who are new to Bell Shoals, maybe you're new to church, let me tell you why we have Christmas. Let me tell you why this is such a big deal for us. Because there was only one way for us to be saved from our perilous fate. It was not God speaking from heaven with a booming voice saying, stop running out into the middle of the street. It was not God yelling from heaven to us, stop doing stupid things. Stop rebelling against me, right? Stop doing X, Y, Z. Like, like, like that would be frightening. Like that would be something we would not understand. Like, in fact, by the way, God did that in a sense through his prophets and it didn't work. God did things like part the Red Sea so that the children of Israel walked across on dry ground and not long after that, they were rebelling against him. And so in order for God to save us, what did he do? He became one of us. He spoke our language. He relates to our griefs and our sorrows, our struggles and our temptations. And he speaks lovingly and graciously to us. Now check this out, with a divine perspective. With the perspective of God himself, now wrapped in human flesh, living among us to communicate to us how we might be saved from the path we're on. Not as this big booming voice from heaven saying, stop. No, as one of us experiencing life as we do, saying to us, full of grace and truth, you're on the wrong path. Communicating to us with a divine perspective, a perspective that we don't fully know or appreciate at times, but yet one that we desperately need. And Christmas is all about God coming to us as one of us, fully God, fully man, to live among us, to experience life as we do, to endure temptation, to have sorrow and betrayal and to live as we, to know what it means to be human so that ultimately God wrapped in human flesh can communicate to all of us what it means to work through this dysfunction, to work through this brokenness and have eternal life by looking to the one who has come to give it to us. This is the miracle of Christmas. This is why we do this every year because none of us can save ourselves. We, we only have a human perspective, right? And as foolish as it is for us to see squirrels darting in front of vehicles, I just wonder what God must think as he looks with a divine, holy perspective on some of the decisions that we make the short-sightedness that we have, the folly that we employ. And so God in his grace did not just leave us to our own devices, our own limited human perspective. No, he came to us as one of us to give us a divine perspective, to show us the way of salvation, to give us the hope of eternal life, to cover the guilt and the offense of our sin. Yes, this is the miracle 
of Christmas. And I just want you to know if you're new to church that it's only through the wonder of Jesus that you see the grace and the goodness of God. Let me see it to you this way. We see the glory of God in the goodness of Jesus Christ. Christianity is the only religious system of thought that encapsulates this dynamic of God coming to us to save us. Every other system of thought is built on the ladder of human works. You have to do enough to merit God's favor, but that will never be enough. And so thankfully we have by God's grace and through God's word, clarity on how we are saved, how we can have eternal life. It's not us getting to God, it's God coming to us. And we see, here's what we, we know from human history. We see the glory of God in the goodness of Jesus. Because Jesus is not just a, another human being. He was not just a great teacher. He was more than just a miracle worker. Jesus was and is the son of God. He is fully God wrapped in human flesh. And our series this December is called Lord at Thy Birth because we're gonna look at John's gospel and see what John does, which is very different from Matthew, Mark, and Luke because John doesn't start the, the opening verses of his letter with Mary and Joseph and angels and John the Baptist. No. John wants us to know that Jesus was Lord even before his birth. The reason he was Lord at his birth is because he was Lord before his birth. And I wanna show you John 1. If you have a copy of God's word, turn there with me to John chapter one. I want you to see here these opening verses of John's gospel, which are so profound that show us something about this miracle of Christmas, God coming to us. Here's how John opens his gospel. In the beginning, in the beginning, right? Not, 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 not just with Mary and Joseph and the angels and the inn and all. No, 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 John's going all the way back. In the beginning, the word already existed, he says. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Literally in the original language, it is in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. And then here's the word order and God was the word. Now, this is an amazing thing. John is, is speaking both to a Jewish and a Gentile audience and he encapsulates here a, a, a powerful truth about what it means that Jesus is the divine logos or, or the word, the divine word of God from the very beginning, right? Because for the Jewish people, God's word was his powerful expression of himself seen all throughout the Old Testament through creation and revelation and, and, and the prophetic witness, right? Like, like, like God spoke the heavens and the earth into existence. So the Jews had this notion of the power of the word of God. And John says here, well, in the beginning was the word, the full encompassing of the glory of God, known as the word, the word, this word, Jesus is who he's pointing to, of course, was actually in the beginning with God because he is God. 
And then for the Greeks, they also had a notion of word, of logos is, is the Greek word. For the Greeks, logos or word was something that was a philosophical component. It was a concept of a higher power tied to philosophy, tied to knowledge. Heraclitus, for example, was a philosopher that predated Socrates and Plato and Aristotle and Alexander the Great and Cicero. And Heraclitus taught that the world was a constant, a constant state of change. He said there's, there's, there's tremendous chaos and disorder within the, the world. And his, his illustration, now famous, we know it, is that you never put your foot into the same river twice because the river is always moving. And he said, that's the world. It's constantly changing and ever flowing. He said, nothing is constant, just change. And then Heraclitus came up with this concept known as logos, the, the word. And, and the, the logos or the word was just the essence of the study of philosophy and all things. It's the logos who created the world by fire, according to Heraclitus, and it governed human affairs. And so he just said the world's this just constant river and flow of change. You never put your river in the foot in the same river twice. And it's just, but, but the one constant is this logos. It's, it's, it's created the world by fire. And it's just this divine kind of principle and so for the Jews, it was the power of God. For the Greeks, it was philosophy and knowledge. But here's what John says. Actually, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and God was the Word. John's making it very, very clear, don't miss this, that the Word is just more than God's power and certainly more than God's wisdom. The Word is a person. The word ultimately is the full encompassing of God's glory in a person who is Jesus. This Jesus who although fully human is fully God and has always been fully God. The agent of creation the one who holds all things even now together. No, this word's not just a philosophy or a power. It's a person. Let me show you Revelation 19, 13. I love this. Okay, looking to the future. He is clothed in a robe, dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is what? The word of God. See, John here starts off in the deep end of the pool, okay? And, and, and of course, all of God's word is inspired by his spirit and, and we appreciate the perspective of every single writer and author. But it's as if John is saying, okay, Matthew, cool. Mark, ah, that's sweet. Luke, all right, I get you, dude. <clears throat> I think we're gonna start in the deep end of the pool. No, we're not starting with any angels. We're not starting with... Uh, we're not, we're not starting with some shepherds in a field. No, 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 no. John's like, we're going back to the very beginning. Let me tell you about the very beginning, John says. Here's the opening verse. <laughs> in the beginning was the divine logos, the word. And notice the pronouns. He was with God because he is God. 
And if you came into this room today, if you're watching us online today with any notion that Jesus is just an extraordinary human being, you grossly misunderstand who Jesus is. He is God. He is the word, the divine logos, the word made flesh. And, and, and then let me, let me take a verse two here. Let's walk through a couple of verses here quickly. John then says, he existed in the beginning with God. Make no mistake about it. He was in the beginning with God. Notice the pronouns here. He, not it, he. He was in the very beginning with God. Now, some have said that Jesus was created, that he was a God. Well, let me take you to verse three here and show you how John dispels that. God created everything through him. Now watch this. And nothing was created except through him. I got news for you. Jesus could not have created himself. What John is saying is not what the Jehovah's Witnesses say, the Mormons say, others have said through the years that Jesus is a God. No, 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 no. John is making it very clear. He is God. The one and only God, the full expression of the glory of God. Because in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and God was the Word, and, and He existed in the beginning with God. And then verse 3, and God created everything through Him. And look at this, nothing was created except through Him. He's the agent of creation, the Father planning, the Son accomplishing. You say, well, I don't fully understand the Trinity. Join the club. <laughs> we have free membership to the I Don't Understand the Trinity Club. We have shirts and everything. You'll love it. Do you know why we don't fully understand it? Because we are squirrels. And it's okay that we don't understand everything about the divine, triune, holy, all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present God. Because we are not God. Just like there's a lot of things my kids don't understand about life. But at 16, boy, you think you got it. <laughs> Oh, there's no way our finite created human minds are fully going to be able to grasp God as one God in three persons. But let me tell you what John is doing. He's making abundantly clear Jesus is not a God. Jesus is not just a miracle worker, powerful teacher, powerful person. No, 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 no. He is God. And he is the full display of God's glory to the world because he has come to us. And so John says this in verse four, the word gave life to everything that was created and his life, look at this, brought light to everyone. You know what's so cool about this? The word light is mentioned seven times in John's opening chapter. And um, there's this emphasis on light. Do you know why? Because light brings life. Light brings life. There would be no life without light. Those of you who are really good at chemistry and all that, you're thinking right now of photosynthesis. Y'all with me on that? See, my college education paid off. <laughs> I want any of my professors to know I made it, okay? Photosynthesis. Now, 
I don't know how that works. <laughs> but I knew that was the answer on the exam because it was under letter C, and it's always C, right? <laughs> Photosynthesis, I got it, okay? It light, light brings life. Can I tell you something super cool? This is true. I have a friend, <laughs> don't ask me how I have this friend. Okay, he has a background um, in horticulture. I don't know why, perhaps he has no friends. I don't know, I don't, plants are his only friends, people. I don't know, okay, he's a horticulturalist, okay? Another big word, <laughs> two for two today. All right. My wife and I were with him last year and uh, we were observing uh, the, the changing of color in the leaves, right? And <laughs> Dumbo right here said something to the effect of, yeah, I guess it's the cold that ushers in all these changes. That makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah, none of you are admitting to that now, but you've been thinking it. I know, yeah, I know a lot of you are thinking it, right? For those of us who grew up north of the Mason-Dixon line, it's like, okay, when it gets cold, that impacts the trees and the leaves and all that. Actually, no. Do you know what causes change in leaves? The lack of light. And my horticulturalist friend is dropping some horticultural knowledge on me. And for the first time in his life, he got to use it in a productive way. And I thought that was cool. I'm just kidding. Horticulturalist, calm down. Okay. I just thought that was the coolest thing. Think about this. This is absolutely true. I did some research on it. Okay, here's what I found. Let me show you what I found. I don't know who this is, some expert on horticultural stuff. Okay. As night length increases in the autumn, chlorophyll production slows down and then stops, and eventually all the chlorophyll is destroyed. And then the carotenoids and the anthocyanin, I mean, of course, I mean, we all know that, um, <laughs> that are present in the leaf are then unmasked and show their true colors. I have no idea what that means, <laughs> except this. The absence of light brings death. We only have color in the world because we have light. And here's what John is saying. We only have life in the world because we have light, which by the way, is the first thing God created in Genesis 1. And he created it through Jesus, the agent of creation, who during his earthly ministry said to those who were with him, I am the light of the world. And so John says, in the beginning was this word and he was with God because he is God and he created all things. Nothing was made except through him and he gave life to everything that was created because he brought light to everyone, right? This is amazing. And then look at verse six, and John goes on to say this. 
or excuse me, verse five, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. Some translations say the darkness does not comprehend it, doesn't understand it, right? Can't, can't deal with it. And, and here's the reality. Here's what's happened, okay? Jesus has come 2,000 years ago. He lived in human form, God in human flesh, born of a human, right? Growing in wisdom and understanding as a human, experiencing betrayal and temptation as a human. Like Jesus is fully man, fully God. And John says, but he comes as God in human flesh, as the light now in human flesh. And, and he's illuminating the glory of God to everyone. But there's this darkness in the world that cannot understand him. There's this darkness that can't deal with him. And the darkness cannot prevail against him because we all know this, whenever you turn the light on, the darkness runs, right? There's no darkness switch. No, the light wins 100% of the time, but John says there's this darkness in the world. And when the light of the world comes into the world and begins to shine the glory of God, the, the, the darkness here can't comprehend it, it can't extinguish it, can't deal with it. And I know some of you are like, how could that be? How could God come to us with the full measure of his grace, which we're gonna see in a moment, and with such love and be rejected? And I'll tell you, it depends upon your posture toward the light. See, if you're lost and you're moving through a field in the middle of the night trying to find help and a helicopter comes overhead and shines a light on you, you wave your arms in the air and you rejoice that the light has shined on you and you are found. But if you just robbed a bank and the helicopter appears overhead and the light shines on you, you run. Now, let me give you the bad news. Every single one of us in our pride are inclined to run from the light. Because when you welcome the light of the world into your world, he's gonna put the light of the gospel on some things that don't need to be in your life. And that's hard. That takes humility. That takes an acknowledgement that you are not God and that you need him and that you are far from perfect and you are offensive to him and you want to govern yourself and you want to do things and live in a way that contradict what's best for you. And you ultimately do not want God to govern your life. You wanna govern your own life. And when the light shines in the darkness, the darkness struggles with the light because if we're honest, left to our own devices, all of us would prefer the darkness of self-governance. And some of you are like, well, that's not true of me. No, you're exactly the person I'm talking to today. <laughs> the person living in self-denial. <laughs> this is why John says, I know this seems weird on the surface. Wait a minute, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness won't extinguish it and it's fighting against it and it can't comprehend it. Yes, be because we all prefer the darkness. But thankfully, God didn't leave us in the darkness. 
And thankfully, the power of the light is such that it's going to conquer the darkness. And thankfully, there are thousands of us here at Bell Shoals who are testifying today to the goodness of God to find us in the light, even when we want to stay in the darkness. <laughs> That's our testimony. And so John says, in the beginning is this word, and he's with God, and he is God, and nothing was created except through him, because he is the light of the world, and the light shines in the darkness, and there's this battle now between darkness and light, and, and so here's what God did. Look at verse 6. So God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. God sent a forerunner, breaking the silence of 400 years, saying, the light is coming. And John was not the light, but he was a witness to tell about the light. And the one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Look at verse 10 and 11. And so he came into the very world he created, but the world did not recognize him. And he came to his own people, and they, they rejected him. But then here's the good news, 12 and 13. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become the children of God. And they are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. And then finally, verse 14, this is so good. And so the word became human or flesh and he made his home among us and he was full of unfailing love and faithfulness and we have seen his glory, the glory of the father's one and only son. We see the glory of God in the goodness of Jesus. Let me just tell you, briefly what this word glory is, is speaking to. Listen, it's a, it's a big word. I mean, it's packed with meaning. And I mean, what does it really mean to embrace the glory of God or behold the glory of God in Jesus? Well, it's a lot of things, but one of the ways it's given to us in the Old Testament, which I think is so profound, listen, if, if there's one word we want to think, it's goodness. It's the goodness of God. Yes, his power, his wisdom, <laughs> and his goodness. He's not come into this world through the person of Jesus to only bring condemnation. The light's shining in the darkness because the light brings life, eternal life. And the glory of God seen in the person of Jesus is most acutely seen in terms of, of goodness. The goodness of God. Let me show you Exodus 33. Remember when Moses said, God, I want to see your glory? Remember when Moses was like, God, I want to see your glory. I want to see your glory. God, I want to see you. And the Lord's like, Moses, you can't see me and live. No man can see me and live. And, and Moses like, I want to see you, Lord. So, all right, I'm, he says, I'm going to cause my glory to pass by you. And so let me, let me show you Exodus 33. Here's what Moses says. Lord, show me your glorious presence. The Lord says, okay, here's what I'm going to make. Watch this now. All my goodness pass before you. God's glory is his goodness. I'm gonna make my goodness, my glory, my purity, holiness, power, all that, but it's just his goodness and, and I'll call out my name. And I just want you to understand today that we see the, the glory of God in the person of Jesus. And what do we see? What does John say here in verse 14? That he's full of grace and truth. Not, not legalism and truth. Aren't you glad for that? Not judgmentalism. No, he's full of grace and truth. We see the glory of God. 
through the goodness of Jesus. John says, yes, this word is made flesh. God has come to us. He has come to us with a divine perspective to bring clarity to you and me about the only hope we have to live forever and avoid torment. And that is to humbly receive his grace, his salvation, his forgiveness, because in Jesus, you see not judgment primarily, you see goodness the glory of God and the goodness of Jesus. And that's why I think John says very specifically, full of, he's full of grace and truth. Do you notice that he puts grace ahead of truth there? Now, I mean, they're two sides of the same coin, but I mean, I think that's important. Some of you are like, well, I prefer truth over grace. Well, I have some other churches I can recommend for you to attend, okay? I mean, you know, and I'm kidding, all right. Come on, man. You know what John's saying to us? Our God is not a legalist. Our God is not coming to us with a set of rules and saying, you better keep every single one of these, and if you don't... You know how God came to us? Personally. Jesus, the second member of the Trinity, coming, taking on human flesh and showing us on earth in human form through human words and through human actions, but yet with a divine perspective, what it means to come to know God. And John says, here it is. Here's the revelation of Jesus. It's the glory of God, grace, amen? Grace and truth. Now there's the truth. You don't come to God through a lie, right? But there's grace. I, I don't mean to be, be disrespectful of any other systems of thought today. I just, wanna, I just want you to know this, okay? I've studied them. Some of you have lived them. Here's all I want you to know about all these other religious systems of thought. There is no grace. You have to earn what you get. It's dependent upon you. And we celebrate Jesus today because Jesus came to us full of grace and full of truth. And the two reside in Jesus with perfect harmony. And therefore what we see in Jesus is this love, profound love and grace and goodness of God built on the truth right? And, and, and therefore in Jesus, we have this perfect harmony and we have the perfect display of who God is. And what we discover in Jesus is that our God is a good, loving, gracious, merciful God. And he loves you. Can you believe that? He loves you and me and all of our imperfection, right? He loves us. And John says, last thing, and he's He's put a tent down and he's dwelt among us. That word, there's the word in the Old Testament for tabernacle. Literally, literally, here's what John says. Jesus came, okay, and he, he like, he built a house among us. He put a tent down, built some stuff. And, 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 and here's how he did it, right? Like, 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 this isn't like Jesus came and he moved into your HOA and he was the president of the HOA because he's full of truth and meanness. Okay, so... <laughs> All right, so, 
So there's not a set of rules. No, he came with grace and truth. And he didn't come like, he didn't come and just like, like, like set up a place and then trench out a moat and then have a drawbridge and put Rottweilers out in his yard and say, I dare you to come see me. You know what Jesus did? He came right in the middle of our mess and he set down a tent and he put some stakes in the ground and he says, I'm gonna come hang out with you for a while and any of you are welcome to come and be with me. He didn't move in next door to you with a, with a moat full of lava and Rottweiler. No, 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 you know what he did? It's like you wake up one morning and you walk out and you're like, getting your coffee and you look out in your backyard, there's a family sitting there, put up a tent in your backyard overnight. And they're like, you know, it's like Cousin Eddie. (laughs) Hey, you know, (laughs) you're like, who invited them over to our house? What John is saying here in verse 14 is deeply personal. That the God who created all things through the power of his word, because he is the word who gives light to all things, which by the way, was the first thing he created and and is the God who sustains all things. Now, this God who reveals the glory of God to us, full of grace and truth has come. Are you getting this? And he has set himself in the middle of your life so as to involve himself in your mess so that he can give you the salvation and the hope that you desperately need. He's right here with you, God with us. And today I want you to know that's the only hope we have, Bell Shoals. This is the only hope we have. All these other temporal things we live for from a human perspective that are so important to us, and some of them are important, I get it. But none of them trump the greater importance of whether or not we have submitted our lives to this Jesus who is God in the full display of the glory of God and who's come to set up a tent and live among us in our mess to bring salvation to us and eternal life to us. And I just want you to understand, if you've not invited this Jesus into your life, if you've not asked him to forgive you of your sin, if you're not trusting him now with every detail of your life, you need to do that today because he came and set up his tent in the middle of your mess full of grace and truth. And if you'll trust him and walk with him and invite him into your life, he'll save you, he'll change you, he'll comfort you, he'll encourage you, he'll lead you, he'll guide you with a divine perspective that you desperately need. And so I wanna ask you to stand with me if you would, just respectfully just stand there and I wanna lead us in prayer today. And then um, listen, we're gonna just sing a refrain of... um, What a beautiful name. And as we're singing, listen, I'm, I'm gonna go out to the lobby. I'd love to connect with you there. You can always text us by texting Bell Shoals to 774-11. We wanna help you make sure this Christmas season you are connected to the one who came and set up a tent in the middle of your mess, the glory of God made flesh, dwelling among you with grace and truth because God loves you. And so let's pray together. God, we thank you for this truth today. God, I thank you for the way you have moved through John to give us these powerful words and descriptions of Jesus. The word from the very beginning, the word who's created us, the word who sustains us, the word who, Father, we so praise you for this, who has come to dwell among us full of grace and truth, 
And so Lord, I pray that every single person here today, whether in the room or online, would grasp this goodness. God would receive you as Savior and Lord, would turn from their sin and trust in you. God, with the details of our lives and all the ebbs and flows and the ups and downs, Lord, I know many carried burdens into the room today. Lord, may we lay those at your feet, trust you completely, knowing that you are for our good, that you lead us with a divine perspective. Father, that you are so gracious and merciful to us. And so, Father, may we receive that today into our lives, trust you with every aspect of our lives, knowing, God, that this season is the ultimate reminder to us that you love us and you are with us. And so, Lord, we sing this praise this morning that your name and the name of your son, Jesus, is worthy of praise. For you are good. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.